Chris Cohen, Brad Shaw. I would be Brad Shaw, and that would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And there are many clotheslines. There's only one sickle. NWA Hall of Famer, George <laughs> Tragos, Luthez Hall of Fame. He is Nikita Koloff. Nikita, welcome to the show. Bob Brads, I love it, bro. Bradshaw and Briscoe, Chateau Etat. I love it. I love it. This is great. <laughs> well, you just you just got over with with Bradshaw because you said his name first. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, hey, he's been reading my publicity because he says, "Hey, there's a lot of a lot of clotheslines, only one sickle." He's he's been reading my publicity. That's right. That's right. Well, he sure has, man, and what a lot of publicity you have, and and, and man, and, and you know the great thing about these shows as, as you're hosting a show too, which we'll get in a little bit later. You get to do research on guys that you really know, but but during that research, you find out so many different things about about a person. You know that 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 you don't talk about a lot in, in our business, but research on you, you found out a lot about you. And uh, one thing that really amazes me that, and especially to have the talent that you develop in the ring, it, it's amazing that you your your first match that you had ever seen was the match that you were involved in and to kind of take us through that you grew up in 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 minnesota in the hotbed the robinsondale area where ever every professional wrestler and his brother come from and you you grew up and you admittedly said i wasn't a big fan back in those days how in the heck did you not become a fan and what and I, I know the animal story, but kind of walk us through that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, which, by the way, let me just add, it, it is, uh, I, I told John before we, we came on air, uh, you know, just uh, watched his career uh, inside and outside the ring from afar. Of course, uh, Jerry, I'm very familiar with yours and, and, and certainly uh, just nothing but the utmost respect for, for the two of you, for what you've accomplished really both in and out inside and outside the rings. I just want to say Thank that you. at the onset as well. And, uh, uh, but to, to address your question, to answer your question. Yeah. The, the short story, the short version of that is, you know, I, I didn't, I did grow up in the hotbed, you know, Robbinsdale, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, uh, with all the guys that came out of there, and go all the way back to Jesse Ventura's little sweat box gym in North Minneapolis uh, when I was in junior college. And, and a bunch of us muscle heads were working there. And I, I had had my first exposure to a live event when he was doing a deadlifting match against Paul Ellering, uh, Precious Paul, at the St. Paul Civic Center. There were 18,000 people. There were 25 Jesse Ventura fans and the rest are all Paul Ellering fans. And we were threatened. This is a true story. We were leaving the arena and this old lady, she could, she had to be 80, 80 years old. She looked at, and I, somehow I made eye contact with her and she looked at me and she said, you, you're those Jesse Ventura fans. If I had a knife, I'd stick it in your gut. I'd stick it in every one of theirs too. And I was like, whoa, wow. I was like, these people take this stuff pretty serious, you know? So that was my one and only exposure to a professional match. And then, I, you know, I was passionate about football, passionate about, you know, playing in high school, college, and, you know, scouted by the NFL my senior year, had a couple physical setbacks, some injuries, but, but that didn't deter me from wanting to go on. Uh, and, and then long and short of it is eventually Joe Laurinaitis, AKA road warrior animal 
who I actually recruited out of New Brighton, Minnesota, Irondale High School to play football, college football with me. We became the best of friends. He quit. I went on, finished, and graduated from college. He gets into professional wrestling. He makes the uh, the uh, infamous phone call to uh, to share with me a storyline of a nephew for Ivan Koloff, legendary Ivan Koloff. And, and, and truthfully, you know, the day I walked into Jim Crockett's office in June of 1984, started meeting guys, uh, I, I didn't know them, probably the majority of them, for real, you know, and, and so... You know, they literally put me right in the interview set that day. Uh, you know, Nikita Koloff's born in the hallways of Charlotte, North Carolina, 1984. And, and then they said, Jim Crockett Jr. says, be in Raleigh tomorrow night, Thornton Arena. You're going to wrestle on television. No amateur background, no professional training, never been in a ring. And my debut was on television in a sold-out crowd in Raleigh, North Carolina. And what, what were you thinking? I mean, what were you thinking about going into the ring? I mean, did, did they talk you into it right away? I mean, did, were you for this? Well, I, I, I was. I mean, and we were we were supposed to we were supposed to get there early. Uh, we, we ended up getting there late. You know, I was along for the ride. So I'll say for the record, it wasn't my fault. We got there late. <laughs> uh, Jim, Jim Crockett started having uh, uh, must have started having some second thoughts. And he was not happy that we didn't get there to to maybe get in the ring and do some things for them to show me some things. Uh, so they end up showing me a couple things in the dressing room, believe it or not. Guys. <laughs> and, and my only instruction from Ivan was uh, that apparently Jim Crockett said, Ivan, I I'll let him do it. But if he trips on the ropes, getting in the ring, he's history. He's out of here. And I thought, how hard could that be? But man, if you, as you guys know, if you've never climbed in a wrestling ring, that can be pretty challenging sometimes. So that's what that was my mentality. I'm like, don't trip on the ropes, don't trip on the ropes. And fortunately, guys, for me, it was a very short match. My first match, it lasted 11 seconds. The guy wow. submitted, and, and and the and the story was ready to be told. Mr. Yeah. Briscoe, as normal, you're sideways. No, you're your your side. <laughs> <laughs> That's what are you at some Oklahoma special magic? What are you doing? <laughs> the other one, there you go. Nice, nice. Hey. I, I, this this just blows me away, Nikita. Yeah. I mean, you got into a ring. I mean, in, in a packed arena full of people. A TV, a TV match, a TV match, John. His first match was a TV match, right? Yeah, yeah, on 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 television. Yeah, having yeah. never been in a ring before, right? They showed you some stuff in the dressing room. Yeah. <laughs> How, how, how to tie, here's how you tie up, here's wow. how you tie up, and, and, and you know, you're going to do this, this, now you guys probably know the guy that I debuted against, uh, back in those days, he wrestled as Bret Hart, not, not the hit man, but he went on to become Barry Horowitz, you guys probably Barry know that, Horowitz. of course, and, and Winless Horowitz, Jack Hart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 25 years later, I ran into Barry, and I said, hey Barry, I'd never asked you this question, but I'm curious, you know, you were my debut in, in, in wrestling. Did they happen to let you know the fact that I had never been in the ring before? And he's like, ah, nope. They left that bit of information out. I go, well, fortunately, you survived to talk about it. So, yeah, that's just amazing, especially after the career that you went on to, to have after that. But you mentioned you mentioned a couple of guys that you made tremendous road trip with and as the three of us know, that's where you really learn. And you were in the Carolinas 
in those road trips, I mean, I, I went up and down. I went from uh, I went from Savannah, Georgia, to Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. Does that make yep. sense? But yeah, nonstop. You know, I, I passed through Charlotte. I said, man, I'm going to stop in my apartment at least and, and freshen up. So I stopped there, took a quick shower, jumped back in the car and drove another six hours to uh, to Norfolk, Virginia. But man, those road trips were brutal. But the great thing about them was after the after the matches were over, you got to sit in that car and gain all that knowledge. And you were two, two, two wonderful guys, Uncle Ivan and Don Cornoodle, I, I, I read or heard, heard somewhere. Those two guys are just have the knowledge that, you know, that they, they, they enjoy passing along. Well, I did. And so that's, that's the fortunate part because probably the next question you might ask or it's like, man, how, then how, how did you learn? I mean, you had no, you know, no, no training, no professional training, no amateur wrestling background. You know what? How how'd you do it? So, from from that debut that night in Raleigh, and, and you're right, Jerry. I mean, back in those days, I mean, you could easily wrestle seven nights a week, and we did. I mean, every night of the week. And and then what? To Don and Ivan's credit, I give so much credit to them, as well as a number of other guys. But initially, Don and Ivan, because we would then get to the towns two or three hours early. They would bump and thump all over the ring. I call it teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. I'd have a continue to have a really short match, you know, a minute or two, maybe. Um, and then they're the world tag team champions. So uncle Ivan, my, 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 my uncle would sit in my corner. And then the, the nephew would sit uh, in the protege in their corner. I'd watch their match, you know, eyeball it right there from ringside every night. Uh, he'd eyeball mine. And then to your, to your point, Jerry, every night on the drive home where, or wherever we were going, we would then talk about old school psychology of wrestling. So mechanics before the match psychology, after the match, discuss what they did in the ring. And we did that for about two or three months. And fortunately for me, uh, I like to say, I feel like I've always been coachable and teachable and, and just, uh, you know, adapted to it rather, rather quickly. And you talk about a great teacher. Ivan Koloff, for those that don't know, he was the third WWF champion. He's the one that took the title off San Martino. Oh, I mean, he yeah. was, he was just he was guard. Yeah, legendary, right? And, yeah, he's one of the hottest heels in the country at the time. Oh. Yes, yeah. So I feel very fortunate to have him and him and Don, so to speak, in, in my corner and, and, and to learn from those two men. Absolutely. Oh. Well, I, Ivan, 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 one of my all-time favorite. I, I had the, uh, the great pleasure when I, when I was a rookie, basically like you, only not, not quite as green. I got to go to Australia. Ivan was a big star down. He had just left New York, of course. You know, just getting into business in Oklahoma. I always read, read the after mags and all. I said, of course, you saw Ivan after being uh, beating Bruno all over the place. Usually, a, a face of crimson mask, you know. But I was in Australia and I was paired up with Ivan for about the first month that he was there. You know, elevating him or trying to get him ready for the for the next level matches. And and the 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 learning tree that I sit under there with Ivan Koloff. I it, still to this day I think about Ivan what he taught me, and I'm just thankful. So you had to feel the same thing. This guy he he had so much knowledge to pass on. Uh, he he did, and it really became you know. Of course, you know how the fans are like. Is you really your uncle? Well, yeah. <laughs> he was he was as much an uncle uh, outside the ring as any uncle I had. And of course, you know we we went on to have a wonderful friendship well beyond wrestling in fact 
his wife uh, had asked if I, I would speak uh, at his, his graveside service upon his passing. And I was more than, than honored to do that. A very small, intimate crowd and very honored to do that. So yeah, I was great. Now I will say too, let me just start, throw out there real quick for the record. The other fortunate thing I had that first year was in the guy in the ring with uh, some guys that you guys would be very familiar with. Uh, I'm sure guys like Dory Funk Jr., mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Weaver, Wild Wave, yeah, Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, yeah. I mean Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yeah. I mean there were some guys I eventually got to get in the ring with and and then continue my education in in Mm -hmm. wrestling with some of those legendary guys in their career as well. So yeah, that mid-Atlantic was loaded with, with, you know, legend and and some of them are so overlooked like Johnny Weaver. In my opinion, Johnny Weaver is probably one of the greatest guys ever to step in in a ring, not only in the ring, but outside the ring. The guy was so gracious and so giving. I mean, it was just a pleasure to travel with Johnny and be around with Johnny. And if you wanted to learn, that was one of the guys to get in the ring with. And he was always there an hour or so ahead of time to help young guys uh, gain their gain their knowledge. Yeah, and, and you said a key word, Jerry, that he was so giving. And here I'm this, I'm this, I'm, I'm so, so I'm, I'm so green. I don't know. It was a shade of green as far as green, John, you mentioned a green, right? Um, But Johnny was gracious enough that when I'd have a match against him, you know, of course he had the legendary sleeper hold, right? Put guys out with that sleeper hold. He let me, he he put that on me. He'd allow me to break it. And then eventually put him out, you know, with that, with that Russian sickle. Wow, and, yeah. uh, he's a brave man to take that Russian sickle <laughs> yeah. back in those days. I'm wow. just saying. Wow. <laughs> you're, you're probably like me, uh, you know, you know when, when you're, when you were really young and people took the clothesline or sickle from you, that they, they weren't very happy. With that. As you got older, you learned more how to work it. <laughs> you oh. know? Well, some might argue that point, John, but <laughs> yeah. I was, they did, they intent, I was intent on making it look good. <laughs> what was you, about, you know what? Go ahead. Uh, you, you, you know, you know, just bring it up, Weaver, before we get off of Weaver, you know, he was a great friend outside the ring. And, and, and what a fun guy to go to a, to a pub with. Did you ever see uh, uh, Johnny Weaver clog dance? I, I did not. I did not have that pleasure. I'm guessing oh, he was good, man. huh? Oh, he was the best. Well, I don't I haven't seen a lot of cloggers, but the ones that I saw, Weaver was so good. And I mean, he would blow everybody's mind. And we go to a pub, you know, you get back in you know, those West Virginia hills and Virginia and Carolinas, man. And a lot of people did that old, old mountain clogging. And Weaver, Weaver was everywhere he'd go, he'd be patted on the He'd finish clogging, his whole table would be full of comp bears, you know, from a fan there. I can visualize that. <laughs> what That's in all. the world is clogging? Oh, I, for man. real? Come on, tell him, Jerry. Come on. He, he's a Texas boy. What do you get? expect questions we like this? We line danced. We didn't clog. Uh, well, and and that's what we, where, you think, where do you think that line dancing come from? What are you doing? You're moving, your, you're stomping your feet in that line dance. That's what clogging is. It's just the rhythm of your feet there and, and make, make a noise there. So I, can't, I can't believe I'm sorry. I'm sorry uh, that John doesn't know what clock. <laughs> I apologize. Hey, he, hey, Jerry's got a valid point. I, I think I, I do that. I think line dancing came out of clogging originate was one of the original. Uh, so anyway, that's too fun. Hey, thank you. I just made up that line. Just <laughs> <laughs> So Jerry, are you a clogger? 
I could do any dance you want me to do, man. Go My on, daughter, I believe that. I get a little far water in me. I'm, I'm a dancing fool. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've seen you. Mainly you do a war, a war dance. Yeah. I was going to say, that's his specialty, the war dance. Yeah, yeah. Well, when it needs raid down here in Florida, the city uh, chamber of commerce called me, and I go down to a raid dance for the city here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what was it about Canoodle and, uh, and, and, and Ivan that made them want to have you with them? I mean, I know you're friends with, with Joe Animal, and you were there. They'd seen you, obviously, a lot. But what made them think that, first, you wanted to be in the business, and second, that you would be good in the business? I mean, it's kind of a risk on their part to bring somebody in that, that may or may not like the business because your, your heart was going back to play professional football, right? Yeah, and, and it's a great question. And so a little quick quick backstory on that is uh, uh, for those who, you know, your viewers, your listeners that may not know. So I, I'm at the time I'm training for, I graduate college. I'm in the gym, you know, cranking it out hours a day, training for a pro football trial. Animal makes that phone call, shares the storyline with me of a nephew, you know, for Ivan Koloff. And, and I'm like, Joe, do they know I, you know, I, I told, I go, do they know I have no background, no training? He goes, yeah, I, I told him, I go, and they're okay with that. He goes, they say they are. I go, I go, what do I got to do? He goes, call this promoter in Charlotte. Here's his number. So I call the number Jim Crockett Jr. Gets on the phone and introduce myself. And I said, now, Mr. Crockett, you understand no amateur background, no professional training, right? He goes, yep. I go, <laughs> and you're good with that. He goes, yep. And I go, okay. I go, well, what's the next step? Literally. He goes, well, be in my office with your head, with your head shaved bald. I go, that's it. He goes, yeah, be on, on this on such and such a day. I go, okay. And I hung up the phone. And when Canoto approached Don, see the the, the original uh, story came from Sergeant Slaughter and Don Canoto. One night from you mentioned Savannah, Jerry. They're going from Savannah, I think, to Charleston on those long drives you were talking about. And they wrote out like a whole two year program you know, where Don would part, be a turncoat partner with Ivan. And, and then, and then eventually the, the nephew and uncle would turn on Don and then Sergeant Slaughter would come in and private Cronodal. They'd have matches for flags and belts and all kinds of stuff. Okay. <laughs> and, and so when Don actually approached animal, he asked Johnny, he asked this question, Hey, do you know any big guys who wouldn't mind shaving their head and becoming a Russian? That was the question. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and Joe goes, yeah, I think I know the guy right now. <laughs> so all that to say, I had that five-minute phone call with Crockett, hung up the phone. Months later, without another conversation, just showed up the day Jim Crockett said to be in his office, and and that and Nikita Koloff's born. I mean, he, so they they had plenty of time to change my mind, is what you're saying, then, because it was it was months lapsed by the time you showed up. Yeah, I mean, they knew I was coming, wow. uh, and I showed up the day he said to be there, introduced myself, and. You know, he took a look at me, walked out, walked in, and he just like this said to Don and Ivan, take a look at your new partner. And 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 Nikita's born and the and the career is, is launched. But yeah, so Jimmy obviously, you know, obviously took a risk, but while at the same time, you know, it it it, it paid off for him, you know. I read where you you're also taking courses on Russian, learning how to speak the language and and all that, correct? I I, I so I got my hands on I got my hands on a Russian workbook. Uh, somewhere I found a Russian cassette tape that would teach me a few words and maybe some phrases. I learned to sign my name in Russian. I actually huh. signed up 
for a propaganda magazine, a Russian propaganda magazine called Pravda. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you like for be, real. You better be glad J. Edgar Hoover's dead. Yeah, I'm, just saying, <laughs> no, right? I, I'm just saying. And, and I, I thought, and, and so, and, and I didn't speak any, really honestly, any English like we're talking now outside of the car I drove in and occasionally even in the dressing rooms, anywhere in public for over six months. Um, and, and developing the accent and developing the character, I just went out and destroyed people every night. Uh, and then eventually, legally changed my name in the key to call off. They didn't ask me to do it. I just did it. What was your thought process behind it? I mean, I, a lot of guys never change their name. Some guys do. What was your thought process for wanting to change it? My, my thought was one, I, I'm like, one day I'm going to be traveling or somebody's going to, I'm going to get stopped, you know, by a cop or something, you know, that, and, and I thought <clears throat> when they look at my driver's license or look at my passport, I want them to see Nikita Koloff on there and go, wow, this dude, this dude really, it really is Russian, you know? And when I got an apartment in Charlotte and got a phone and, and electric on, Ivan took me around everywhere. We told, told the same story everywhere. It's my nephew. He speaks no English. I'll co-sign for him, which he did for an apartment, for, for a telephone, for electric. You know, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just saw it. And I didn't know I was doing it guys at the time. I didn't know this is what it was called. I came to learn later I guess it's called method acting where I just projected myself into that role to become that character and just on my own decided to live it, eat it, sleep it, breathe it. Well, I tell you, I tell you on, on my point of view, we're watching you. I mean, I've been around a lot of so-called Russian character, you know, that, that, that and, and our business, you totally, and I didn't know any of your background cause I'd left Carolina. I didn't know your background. I was convinced even then that you, that you were a bona fide Russian. And, and you know what? You, you did such a great job. You got heat with me being that Russian character. And because you were such, you were such a, a dominant force back then, you know, and that evil Russian, Russian, uh, and, and along with Ivan. And uh, wow, what a tag team you guys became. Well, I appreciate it. And you guys know a guy named Barry Darso. Uh, right. And so, of course, Barry and I went to high school together. He graduated a year after me, played on the same football team, along with several other guys who went on, you know, into in the bit, Kurt Henning, Rick Rude, Darso, wow. John Nord. Uh, I mean, we were all, we wow. were all on the same. That's all one team. high school, wow. right? Yeah, that's wow. all in high school. Yeah, that's all in high school. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, Tom Zink, Brady Boone. I mean, you just go down, go down the list. Yeah. Darso was in the, the Mid-South. Uh, wrestling with Nikolai for a while before we brought him into the Carolinas to team up with us as Crusher Khrushchev. And it's funny when he came in, when we talked, he's like, same thing, Jerry. He goes, man, we heard there's this shoot Russian up in the Carolinas. He goes, <laughs> I knew it. I should have known it was you, man. I should have known it was you. <laughs> great. 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 <laughs> so wow. he had no idea that it was his high school buddy that was the shoot Russian. No, no, I, no idea until we finally, I called him and told him <laughs> what I was doing. And he's like, that's great. Cause I was that guy that believed you play like you practice. So in high school, I was all out hundred percent in and practice and got my teammates did not like me. Ooh, I, they're no. like, dude, <laughs> chill out. It's practice. I'm like, you yeah, play like you practice, you know? And, and Darso remembered that, right? So yeah, John, John's got a great story about Howie Long and uh, that rookie Layfield trying to make the team. And what, what did Howie tell you that one day? I called a slip cut and uh, it's basically a high low block and the guard goes through and the, and the tackle cuts. 
it's, yeah. it's illegal now, but back then it was technically legal. And right. I called Slip Cut and how he, how he looked up at me. He goes, John Boy, he said, if you cut me in practice, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, Mr. Long, I wouldn't dream of cutting you, sir. <laughs> and I just ducked my shoulder and he just moved with me. He let, look, he worked with me. <laughs> it was that's great. Awesome. Long that's as, awesome. As long as I wasn't trying to make the team off of him, he was fine. That's, that's all. What a great story. <laughs> Nikki, how long was it uh, when you got in the business? Did you feel comfortable sitting in a dressing room and suggesting things? Or did you was you that rookie that just kept your mouth shut the entire year? Or was you out there saying, how about this? Or no, I was just I was just a sponge. That's a great question. I was just a sponge and and willing to, you know, to learn from from uh, everyone that I could learn from and and uh, just to try to you know, perfect the craft and, and perfect the character. And, 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 you know, when I think about it, when I look back on it from that night, I debuted in the Dorton arena arena, which I'm sure you've been many <laughs> times, Jerry, uh, that night I, I debuted there. I mean, fast forward 13 months. And at that point, uh, I'm the world tag team champion, world six man champion. I'm getting my first crack ever at a blonde haired guy named Ric Flair for the world heavyweight wow. title first American great American bash in front of however many 25, 30, 35,000 people all within 13 months, almost to the day. Wow. Yeah. And you were, you were, you were still that sponge sitting in, in the corner there absorbing and, everything. A, a, absolutely. I, I just want to learn it. And, and as I'm sure you're very familiar with from, from the old school days, going out and peeking out or going out and watching some of the other matches that were out wow. there. Yeah. And just watching those matches and trying to learn what what other guys were doing and and, and just remain coachable and teachable, you know. Well, from the little things that you're saying, those those are the things that really set a, a, a talent apart from other the guys that go out and and look look through that curtain, the guys that sit in that dress room and eavesdrop on the match before you. Well, what 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 do you think, you know? And get that comparison, all that stuff. And also to make sure that you're not copying what to what they're doing out there. But you you were one of those monsters that went out, and that, that's another amazing thing with your lack of experience. You you transcended so so rapidly from just being that, that brutalized killer, go out and just thrashing guys to the guy to be able to go and have a, a 60 minute match with Ric Flair. That must have been an experience right there because you just can't bash and bash and and kicking punching you got you got to follow the leader out there and that champion's a wrestler so you, you had to adapt real quick and I, you I, made that transition so quick i did well and again to, to rick's credit and, and ricky steamboat and eventually dusty and others who, who i you know got to be in the ring I, I mean i don't i don't i can't count how many 60 minute broadways wow. i had against rick so i had enough that there's more than i can count yeah, um, yeah. and and to your point uh, right. You just can't, you know, just pound on a guy for 60 minutes. you got to be able to go out there, work some holds, you know, uh, develop your psychology, listen to the crowd and, and develop all of that. And so for, I feel very fortunate to, to with guys like Rick and these others uh, to be able to, to learn that from and, and have a 60 minute match or a 45 minute match or a half hour match or, you know, eventually Magnum TA and, and some of the others that uh, I feel I had really great chemistry with and, and told a great story each night to the crowd. So yeah, right. very fortunate to the guys I got in the ring with. 
And that was a great thing that Crockett did back in those days. He made sure the matches that were drawing the money put their time in to, to satisfy the people. Right. So that gave you that, that experience of getting the time in and pacing yourself. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was one of the differences, Jerry, you know, during the Attitude Era, you know, when, when we were, we were in a, the war with WCW, you know, right. we had Stone Cold, The Rock, and Undertaker mm -hmm. on top, and, and you couldn't talk those guys into not doing 30 minutes right. plus yeah. every single night. You know, it's the, yeah. when the main event delivers, you know, your territory is just on fire. And, and it says so much about you, Nikita. It's one of the reasons people still talk about you 30 years after you've been in the ring that it's a really hard transition. And a lot of guys never make it from being that monster that can just go out and squash people and kill people to becoming a worker that can work a match with a Ricky Steamboat and a Ric Flair. Well, and, and, and I will say, you know, on a, on a very uh, uh, transparent note, yeah, I wasn't the most polished worker in the business, but, uh, but I, I wanted to learn and I, and I was, uh, I, again, coachable, I feel teachable, you know, and, and no matter, even through the entirety of my career, which, you know, you mentioned, John, 30 years later, people still talking about it. What, what I don't think some people understand is, you know, I broke in in June of 1984 under my own terms. I, I chose to walk away in November of 1992. So I, I didn't have that long a career. And there was a hiatus in there where I stepped away. I had a wife that passed, uh, you know, of cancer. And so I, st I stepped away from main event wrestling to take care of her you know, while I was in, in main event matches, I, I literally, I said, I'm going to take a sabbatical and I got to, she said first priority. So that even shortened my career. And so some have, you know, uh, termed my career, my career that, that I'm the, I'm the Barry Sanders of pro wrestling in a sense, if you will, that I walked away kind of on top, wasn't there for as long as I potentially could have been. And so talk about very humbling that 30 years later, people are still talking about it. We're doing this interview today uh, is, is pretty amazing to me. It really is. Yeah, I was amazed when I saw that, that basically you had a six or seven year career because when you count the hiatus to, to take off to take care of your wife, which yes, is sir. a pretty yep. cool thing to do. Yep. And and you, I saw an interview you did that you said you wanted to retire when you were 35, but every wrestler says that when they're 25. <laughs> hey, so, so here's what's funny about that, John. I, I told Don and Ivan, like we argued about this for about two weeks, my first two weeks in the business. I, I'm like, hey, guys. Um, I'm going to be retired out of active wrestling by the time of 35 and Kernodal, especially he's like, ah, oh, it'll get your blood. No, you won't. You'll go. I go, I'm telling, I just got tired of arguing with him. I just went, <laughs> okay. All right. You'll yeah. see. And, and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, my last match, you know, November 92, I'm, I'm at that point of 33, you know, big van Vader. I, I, I did sustain a couple of injuries, not, not, not career ending, but I sustained a couple of injuries it was over Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and, and I'm like, hey, I'm getting ready to turn 34. What's the point of going back for, you know, a few months or something? Yeah. I'm done. So I just said, yeah. no, I'm, I'm done. No fanfare. No, no, I just said, I'm done. Yeah, the storyline you know, story was that Van Vader retired you, but that was the storyline. It was not. Yeah, the, they, they played off, and he did yeah. injure me. I, I, got, I mean, I, I got it. He injured my neck. Uh, I actually didn't know until the next day, uh, you know, he's a big dude, right? I mean, he's a big guy. I, I found I ended up, I got a hernia from picking him up, you know, for body slam and, you know, big dude. Right. So, um, so I did sustain a cut and I ended up having the hernia surgery, rehabbing my neck, 
Uh, and I, I knew I had heard that they played off that, like, yeah, I put Nikita Koloff out of wrestling. I'm like, ah, whatever, that's good. If that works for you, run with it, go for it, you know, hopefully draw some money for you guys, you know. Did you ever have a knack or desire to get back or a storyline? Because you had to, obviously, somebody had to call you with some storylines or something to get back in the ring. Did you ever think, hey, you know what, I might do that? I've never had a second thought of, of getting back in the ring. Um, uh, probably, probably uh, the closest uh, as far as like someone wanting me to uh, Jeff Jarrett, when he launched TNA, um, I was actually living in Nashville at the time for just a couple of years there when they launched it. And, and uh, I did go in, uh, you know, I wanted to help them out. I did about four shows for them. I did some, some fun stuff. I came under the hood as Mr. Wrestling number four and, you know, jumped on dusty uh, and you know, <laughs> just did, did a couple of things there. And, and Jared's like, come on, come on, get back in the ring. We'll, we'll put you in a six man. You can stand on the apron. You don't even have to do anything. I'm like, oh, I know the Russian nightmares. I'm going to stand on the apron. I look like an idiot. Come on, no. Jeff. Are you kidding me? I go, Jeff, thank you, but no, thank you. I'm just not into, I want to be one of the few guys that retires and stay retired. Uh, you know, I want to be in that category. Um, and, and because, you know, I get to do the, the legends and signings and different things I get to do and mix it up with the fans still, uh, that's honestly been enough for me, uh, w- without, without having to don the tights or, or, or <laughs> do a one-off or something <laughs> like that, you know? So I'm thrilled for the career I had, but yeah, don't, don't need to put those tights. I go on YouTube. I tell people, watch me. Yeah. <laughs> When, when when you got into the business uh, from that phone call, did uh, you were when Animal called it? Did you think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll try this. I got an exit plan in ten years. I mean, that was my exit plan. I was college kid. I wanted to go coach and teach and all that stuff. I'm gonna stay in this business ten years. I'm gonna take save all my money. Then I'm gonna go to uh, go and and coach and teach the rest of my life. And little of that, I know. Fifty years later, here I am. Still I, I, I did. I did actually. I you know in my mind. You know, if I go back all the way to the age of 12, when I picked up a, a bodybuilding magazine called Iron Man, I kind of formulated my whole life plan at age 12, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into bodybuilding. I'm going to play football, high school, college, professional for, yeah, maybe a 10-year career. I, I got a, a, you know, I majored in college in, in physical education. I got a minor in coaching and health. And I thought, you know, once I retire, I'll walk away from the NFL on top of the game. I'll go into coaching in college, maybe have a little pro career coaching career and then sail off into the sunset. <laughs> little knowing, uh, oh. but even the, even when I came to Charlotte, I thought, you know, if it doesn't work out, I still got to try out, you know, but I, but I never looked back because the career was so meteoric. I, I never gave re- uh, football a second thought, you know, just, just never looked back on it. You come coming into the business and, and we all know the, the locker room is, is an unforgiving place uh, for rookies and young guys. Here you are with absolutely zero experience and you're thrust into the main event of, of and, and with, with one of the hottest programs and with one of the hottest all time hills, Ivan, your uncle Ivan there. Well, did you ever feel any animosity in the dressing room and how was that handled? Well, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> that's a yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, mo- most of it was unspoken. Yeah. However, yeah, as, yeah. as you guys know, in the dressing rooms, and I, you know, you can sense certain things or uh, that that sort of thing. Two two different times. One, uh, 
right away early in the career. Ivan was great about that. Let's go back to Ivan just for a second. He was so great about that, man. He'd come up there cause he knew he was probably hearing things that I wasn't even hearing, but I always, I remember him saying to me, he's like, Nikki, he like, he's like, look, you know, obviously you didn't pay your dues in the ring. You know, you, you, you had, you know, cut your teeth in all these territories or whatever, you know, but you got a break. You're taking advantage of that break. You, you put your sweat equity in the gym, obviously look at you, you know, and at the time, and I, I was, I mean, I was pounded into the gym. He goes, so you paid your dues in other ways. So don't let that bother you. You stay focused on, on what you're doing and, and, and just let, let that slide right off, you know, right off your back, so to speak. And so he was instrumental early on. And then the second time I, felt some of that animosity was when uh when we did the switch uh and i'm going to become uh dusty Rhodes a super power partner uh and it was billed as the mystery man and was i think still to this day one of the best kept secrets i I don't know that anybody knew up until the night i walked into the dressing room who was actually going to be his mystery partner they hadn't said a word i don't (laughs) think wow anybody uh, and, and we all agreed on that. In fact, I didn't even say anything to Ivan. They're like, Hey, let's keep it between, you know, the three of us, Jim Crockett, Dusty and I, and as far as I know, I mean, I did, so I think they did, but anyway, so that boy, you could cut that dressing room or you could cut the air with a knife in that, in that dressing room when night I walked and they, they got their aha moment. Like he's the guy, he's the guy <laughs> that's going to be teaming with the yeah. booker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No animosity there. Yeah. No <laughs> animosity. No pressure there, and, and and speaking of pressure, I mean you're you're coming from from college football basically, and all of a sudden, that first time that, that you walk into that Moorhead Drive uh, office there, and Jim Crockett hands you a check, and you look at all those zeros on that check, you had it. Well, so much for that exit plan, right? <laughs> well, yeah, the fact you still remember remember the the the, the street name. Now, I remember <laughs> South Boulevard. Yeah, because it was funny when I drove into Charlotte, I didn't have a clue where to go. I mean, look, there wasn't GPS back yeah. in those days. Yeah. It was a Rand McNally map, yeah, right, right, Jerry? And yeah. and I remember, I literally remember. I can visualize right now. I drove in up eighty five, came up from Atlanta, and I'm driving. I'm like passing the city, and I'm like the the same. <laughs> The same gas station with the same pay phone is still there where I put a quarter in and called the office. I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to meet Jim Crockett today. Like, oh, I'll come back to Billy Graham Boulevard, turn yeah. on South Boulevard, you know, and there you're there. Um, so so the funny part is, and here's the here's the legit, okay? And you guys already know that. I know what you do, Jerry. Our guarantee was $50 a night. Right. Remember yeah. those days, Jerry? 5 yeah. $50 and TV was $40 guaranteed. $40. Yeah. $40. Yeah. And I can tell you, I probably still have pay stubs somewhere <laughs> where I worked seven nights and my check was $340. Yeah. For seven nights of work. I remember I'm, those nights. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Now, eventually, there were a few zeros that were, at, were added to, to those numbers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, yes to your uh, to your uh, to your point in fact uh I, I don't know who the cpa was back in those days i just remember his first name dave um dave came to me one time and he goes he goes hey cash your checks i'm like dave what are you talking about he goes you're messing up my book my, my book you cash your check I'm like, i go what are you talking about he goes 
go, go, you're not cashing check. And I literally guys, I went, I, I would, I would get it. I would get, you know, we got paid a thing weekly. I throw it up on my closet shelf and I went, and I had the most I had at one time was 13 uncashed checks. <laughs> wow. 13. And, and so I'm like, Oh, I should probably cash these checks. So, <laughs> So, to yeah, this so, day, if I ever get a check, I'll cash it first thing in the morning. <laughs> well, things have changed. You want to make sure it's yeah. clear. It's, it's right? just an old habit, though. You know, these yeah. old wrestling promoters used to give you a check, and you're like, I'm going to be there first thing in the morning to cash this check. <laughs> well, Somebody this, else's check's going to bounce, not mine. Let's just say I had a lot of faith and, and trust in Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah. Let's just say that. <laughs> we, yeah, the... One thing I saw that uh, was uh, sorry, I thought Jerry was saying something. One thing I thought was, was uh, so cute, was so cool, was uh, the Rocky Four movie that you went and did. And there are two things I loved about it because I was <laughs> friends with Kerry Von Erich. Uh, <laughs> was a great Kerry <laughs> story, not knowing his lines. Yeah, it is. But, but the other thing was you st- you stayed in character the entire time you were on the set. I, I did talking That's to awesome. yeah. directors limousine driver you name it uh, I, I i'm telling you guys i never broke character anywhere in public including on that set so i delivered my lines just like the russian nightmare nikita koloff with that same accent stallone and i are carrying on a conversation about boxing and pulling punches and and and, and did not break character uh him bridget nielsen was on the set i just i just stayed character the whole time yeah it was just a mindset. And, and, and Kerry uh, knew all his lines very well, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm like, well. I gosh, love Kerry. Uh, sto- when I heard that story, I saw you on the video. I just thought, that's Kerry. That's Kerry. Right? I'm like, well, my eyes just went up from 33% to 50-50 shot. I got this role. Kerry, they sent him to us like a month ago. Dude, how do you not have lines? How do you not know? I'm like, well. All right, here we go. So, do, do, yeah. do, do you think Sly set you up with that movement or, or do you have to get Dolph in or or you think it was just, just him trying to visualize being a director? Well, I think, I think so. The, so what, tell, what tell, us, is, tell, tell the story. Yeah, please tell the story. Yeah, so what happened is, so I, I drew the short straw. So it's me, Carrie, and, and Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren. It's, it's between the three of us. I mean, we're there. We're still on and we're going to, we're going to screen test and do the whole deal in the studio, you know, the little warehouse there in Hollywood. And, and I drew the short straw. I had to go first. I'm like, Oh, great. You know, but I'm like, all right, I've been under pressure before. And uh, so I deliver the lines just the way they get me word for word for word, man. It just the pro- projecting to who I was, the audience I was supposed to be talking to. And then Stallone says, Hey, let's do one more. And, uh, and I, you know, you and I side by side, Finish it halfway through. Let's turn towards each other, do a nose to nose stare down, stare down. You finish the lines, but let's do it. And I'm like, okay, you can do it. He goes, but you know, finish your lines. And, and so, so we do. I'm delivering the lines. I turn halfway, you know, stare down, nose to nose, and they all cut. You know, he says, How was it? And, and I don't know, if, for those who've never met Stallone, I mean, you know, he's not, a, I, he looked ripped. He was ripped, but he looked big on the silver screen, right? But he's, Every bit of five, six. Huh. And back then he was about a hundred, about a buck sixty, about 160 pounds. I'm 285, 8% body fat, jacked, right? And so come in comparison, we're we're standing there, and the director, I'll never forget it, word for word, quote unquote. He says, Well, 
They look really good until you turn towards each other. And because of the lighting in the studios and what they're looking at on their screens, he goes, we lost you in his shadow. Oh, wow. And I thought two things immediately for real. I thought not good for his ego, not good for my opportunity, you know? <laughs> and then fast forward real quick, the rest of that story, the director called me a couple weeks later and he goes, Nikita, he goes, man, if it was based on delivery of the lines, you'd have it hands down. However, unfortunately, the Rocky character is 35 years old in the movie. You're so big and you look even bigger on the silver screen. It'd just be, even for Hollywood, too unbelievable for his character to beat a guy that looks like you. And so, you know, they, they, and Lundgren was only about 205 pounds, a little bit taller. Um, and there's some, some other political things at work there where some people had, he knew had invested in the movie. So there's some other things that work there too. So, yep. That's the story. Yeah. That's surprising. And, 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 and what was the deal? His manager ended up taking your name. Yeah. I'm like, and, and that was a wrestling fan that just enlightened me that just a, <laughs> a couple years ago. Wow. They're like, Hey, they're like, hope you got royalties on this. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're like, yeah, his manager in the movie was, was named Nikita. And, and then, and of course, Ivan Drago and Nikita, whatever, whatever the manager's like, I'm like, really sly, really <laughs> use our names and not get any credit royalties, nothing. Okay. I get it. Yeah. That's yeah, great. Like Ivan Von Eric. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So. They could so remember did, Von Eric. <laughs> did you ever talk to Carrie about the, about the, the thing, how it went? Did you see it? I, I mean, I, I, I saw the movie. It's a great movie. No, 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 I'm sorry. Did you talk to oh. Carrie Von Eric about Carrie uh, Carrie's audition? Oh, oh, no, no, actually, because uh, he got so I actually got whisked uh, whisked off to the airport. I had to uh, catch a flight. I I was booked in some more, more matches, so wow. I flew in, did the interview, you know, did the audition, and then they whisked me off to the. So I no, I never got to see him or Lundgren's audition. I uh, wish I would. Well, I'll say this: Lundgren went second. Okay, I remember now. Lundgren went second. As I'm departing, I'm hearing him deliver his lines. I'm like, man, I, I should get this. Like, you know, because I'm like, he, he now, uh-uh. But anyway, and fortunately, Dusty he had very you, few lines for Lundgren. So Dusty, Dusty helped you get the get there for the test, right? Because Jim Crockett didn't want you to do it. Yeah, he's like, man, if he gets this role, you know, we invested all this time and money in this guy, and then Dusty's like, Jimmy. If he gets this role, dude, that's only a short season. Our business will blow up if he gets this role. Are you kidding me? Let him go out and do it. So, yeah. And, and again, Cronota was instrumental in helping with that because Terry Funk, who was friends with Stallone, right. uh, called Don and said, hey, this you got this Russian guy in Charlotte? Uh, can he scream to, you know, so. Did you ever have a chance for other movies? I mean, you seem like you're perfect made for movies did you did you not want to pursue it did you not have opportunities what, what what was the reason that you didn't go and and do more in hollywood um you know just the other things that that kind of unfolded in my life i, I have done uh i've done about three let's see i, I want to say maybe three or four uh smaller budget uh christian films uh over the years with you know more cameo type appearances smaller roles uh, that I've done and it was fun but I have to say even doing those in, in a more in a smaller role I'm like yeah I don't know that the movie thing is for me I mean it would it certainly I probably could have learned it like I learned everything else but 
but uh, and then and then there was just a different path that I, that I I took and a different plan for my life. So yeah, so movies wasn't really uh, up there at the top of the list. One thing that um, you know you ask when you're older and you know you worked uh, you know some territories and other territories is who would you like to have worked with? To me, it's always been Magnum TA. He was such a great baby face. I was always a heel. He was a big guy. I could have begged off from him. I just love you guys had a match made in heaven, right? We did. We had, and, and, and you guys would have had great, yeah, you would have had great chemistry, your style, your brand of wrestling, and, and his would have matched up really, really well. And yeah, we just had such just great chemistry with each other. The, I mean, from the physicality of it and, and the agreement that, hey, uh, you know, I, I work uh, as a, I'll call it snug. Some would say stiff. And Jerry's era would have been a crowbar. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But uh, my mindset was this is this has to look believable to the fans. And Magnum had that same mindset. In fact, I've heard from numerous fans since then. They'd walk out of the arena that night and go, I don't know about any of those other matches. <laughs> yeah. That match against Nikita and Magnum was real. Yeah. That yeah. match was real. And that was our goal. Our goal was to bring the believability, realism, you know, uh, even though there was a kind of a mystery around wrestling. That, that our goal was when fans left that night, that's what we hope to accomplish. And that's what he and I did. And, and we had such great camaraderie with each other uh, and, and chemistry with each other that it just, it, it, it came across and the fans loved it, bought into it. They've done John, 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 an important part of that thing. Now Magnum had much more matches than you, but yearly wise, you guys were not too far off in, in the amount of years you've been there, but the amount of matches were, was, was, you know, really tilted on his side there. It, it did. And I didn't realize until he recently uh, had shared with me, we were doing a kind of a road stories thing. He and I together a while, just a while back and was sharing with, with that crowd that a very similar way. The only difference being is, uh, of course, he had an amateur wrestling background, right, but I didn't yeah. have that. Uh, and he was a great amateur wrestler. Right. And he went out to Portland and with Buzz Sawyer and, and Don Owens. And so he got experience in Portland, experience in the Mid-South before he came to the Carolinas. So, yes, to your point, Jerry, he had a lot of matches already under his belt, even though he didn't really have any professional training and he had that amateur background. So right. his story is probably as close to mine as, right. as you would have with those exceptions. Right. And the best of seven, they've, they've done it since, but you guys were the standard bearer. I mean, you mm -hmm. guys set the, the watermark for everybody that came after you. It was so well done how you end up, you start off 3-0, then he comes back, he comes back, he comes back. Great underdog story. No, heck no. Let's, as Skander Akbar used to say, let's leave them happy, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it, and, and, and I will say, often imitated, never duplicated. Hey, they can try to <laughs> yeah. have more best of sevens; yeah. they'll never duplicate the original. I'm just saying. Just yeah. say. I, I think really what set that thing off is you jumping out that three and old lead, you know, and that people, wow, one more match, you know, and, and that's it. And uh, Terry fall back, crew babyface form, and and was yes. able to do it there. The ultimate underdog story is John. But said, the, yes. yeah, the, the building of that story, the booking. I mean, that's one thing. Dusty, or you know, all of our friends there. To, to Dusty, he had that knowledge and, and that, that mind that could visualize all all seven of those matches. How are we gonna go, baby? You know, how are we gonna do this? Yeah, 
A absolutely. I mean, it, it, so much credit, you know, and, and for everything from the best of seven to, to war games and great American bash and eventually great bash tour to even some of the things I did with him, you know, the arm wrestling thing early on. And then, and then the whole superpower. I mean, when him and Jimmy approached me about becoming a baby face, I'm like, ah, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, him, the two of them got way more experience than me at this point. Cause yeah. I'm still less than three years in the business. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I thought, man, you know, let's, you know, and if they're willing to roll the dice on this, like they were, you know, and, and when I first, uh, my career first started, why not? Let's, let's give it a sh sure. Let's do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Now, now you were, you were there obviously when Terry had the accident, correct? So, so here's the funny part of that story. I was in, I was on a tour in Japan and of course, you know, there's not internet. There's not, none of that. When I got back, I still remember where my first night back was in Philadelphia. Jimmy and Dusty brought me into a room told me about the accident and you know i thought i thought they're working me you know i'm like yeah whatever yeah yeah right right they're like no like it took a few minutes to like convince me no we're this is on the level we're shooting that no he really he's in the hospital fighting for his life right now and then so it took me a, a few minutes to let that kind of settle in and then once it did i was like wow okay all right and then and then, th then they shared the idea of becoming Dusty's, you know, ministry part, mystery partner, and mm. and all that, and you know, and gave me the option: Do you want to do this? Uh, you know, I don't think a Russian's ever been a babyface before. You know, but we, <laughs> we think it might work. You know, you know when when WWE ended up buying WCW, they got the franchises there. You know, so they got uh, Great American Bash uh, was one of the franchises that WWE got as part. Of, so. Uh, my first big uh, pay-per-view title match, we were at Great American Bash. Dusty was working, I think, for Impact Wrestling or something, or TNA at the time. And we had a bull rope match, me and Eddie Guerrero. And Vince McMahon told Bruce Pritchard, he goes, call Dusty and get a finish. <laughs> so <laughs> literally, Bruce Pritchard calls Dusty. Yeah. Dusty gives us a finish for the Great American Bash. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's a great story. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Dusty was so great. Did you have any trepidation at all? Uh, you know, because you were such a freaking hot heel. Did you have any trepidation at all about turning and going with the American dream? Uh, of course, you know there was uh, you probably some natural you know apprehension as to uh, whether or not it, it would actually work. But uh, again, I, uh, here here goes the, uh, just a level of trust and faith in these guys who have been around the business way longer than than I have. I'm like, well. If they if they think it's can work, then you know then then, then let's let, why not you know and so uh, and of course then what happened that night is everyone has witnessed uh, through video and other other and those who've actually I've met people who literally were there that night and uh, you know of course the the, the people the, the people just hook line and sinker just embraced it and and then the rest as the old cliche goes the rest was was history. You know, yeah, I, I, I like really like to plug at it. People that hadn't watched what we're talking about, go to YouTube and type that in. And I watched it last night. For, I got to admit, for the very first time, and I was I was like a fan sitting there. I just wow, because you were such such an unbelievable strong ass hill, and all of a sudden here you are. And it's just it's goosebumps to, to watch a thing. So if you want you want a thrill, go to YouTube and watch it. it it's fantastic.
And it's got to make you feel incredible, Nikita, that, I mean, there's few things in wrestling that, you know, stand the test of time decades later, you know, Hogan slamming the giant and uh, Bruno winning the title, you know, you coming out with Dusty's partner is one of those things, you know, and people are going to talk about that forever. That's got to make you feel really cool that, you know what, we, we hit a grand slam that night. Yeah, it, it was uh, it, the best word. If I were to summarize it in one word, the best word I come up is surreal. Um, uh, only because how the people embraced it, and, and in fact, I I verified this with with, with Tony Schiavone actually just recently. I'd always heard uh, they had asked him, and, and let's face it, Tony's been around some incredible mm-hmm. matches over the course of his mm-hmm. his uh, career as an announcer, right? And uh, they said, hey, what what was the biggest pop? you ever witnessed in, you know, your career as an announcer, he said, the night Nikita Koloff turned babyface. Wow. Was the, the expo- and I, I, you want to talk about uh, a very humbling, you know, coming from a guy like Tony, who's been around some of the greatest matches, you know, and I was on his podcast interview with him and I asked him, I go, Tony, is, is this true? I've heard this. Is this true? Did have you, did you say this? Have you, he goes, it's 100%. He goes to this day, he goes, it was by far, I, I've never heard, and so Jerry, so those who maybe have never watched it, they'll go back and now get to experience that or and see the organic explosion wow. in that when I tore into Ole Anderson that night Ooh. and the way we projected it, pausing in, yeah. the, in the doorway of the cage, yeah. you know, and just looking around and with them still uncertain of what the right. Nikita was going to do. And, and then and then Dusty is the biggest cheerleader. For, for what seemed to be the next 10 minutes, you know, people in the auditorium, same people who hated me the month before, <laughs> throwing stuff at yeah. me, letting me know yeah. I'm number one in their hearts, so to oh. speak, wink, wink. Uh, yeah. To be in those stands with their shirts off, they're doing my most muscular, uh. they're chanting Nakita for, <laughs> you know, was crazy. It was just surreal. Wow. It was surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Isn't it amazing, though, the best turns are from the hottest heels? That's that's, you know, kind of, that's how are the best been, betray- right? are the best betrayals from the hottest baby faces, you know. Yes. Yeah, the old adage, right? The old, old that's old school, right, Jerry? That's old yeah, school. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get over, you get over first as a character, then you, then when you make that change, it, it, I'm not going to put our our turn in seminar, but Jack and I had been a baby face there forever, and Carnoodle and and Sarge had worked with Ricky and Jay, and and had blowout record houses everywhere they went. So Ricky and Jay were looking for a tag team. And at that time, there were a lot of recycled guys in the territory. And we were, we were baby facing going up and down the road. But one night we started, they had all beverages and they all, Ricky, hey, how about you guys turning heel? Well, I don't know, Jack. Yeah, let's try it. So convincing Jimmy Crockett that doing it, it'll never work. It's kind of probably like a deal. Finally, we convinced Crockett to do it. But when we turned heel, I mean, it was, it was just, wow. It, it, you because we're over as strong as baby faces to make that switch it just disappointed the people so to say were you on the other hand you're making the people uh jubilant and really happy what you did but yeah it, it, it it's it, it's a challenge to do that and it's always fascinating to see how it turns out there yep yep absolutely so you just went to your true character jerry you went to be a heel local <laughs> yeah, I, I loved i love being <laughs> that's I not a stretch that. jerry that's not a stretch uh, at all <laughs> that's the reason i love being a heel so much i, I can just be natural i can be me <laughs> uh, Nikita, did you ever have a, a, any thoughts about going to new york during this time 
You know, I, 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 I did. I, I met Vince one time in a gym in Vegas. You know, we're doing a head-to-head show one night. Um, just randomly met him in, in, in the gym. He happened to be in there, the same gym I walked into, introduced ourselves, had a, a short, cordial conversation, uh, had, had ne- never had another conversation from that. I, I joke and I say, for those who are old enough to remember those, those recorders, like somebody call your house line and leave a message and you get the red flashing light. Well, if they ever left me a message, apparently it got erased or I never heard it, right? If, if the office ever tried to reach out to me, um, Darso, Darso, when he informed Ivan and I that he was going to head that way and, and form demolition, um, had asked me, he, he had, was I interested? Was I interested in, in going with him and, 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 and being part of demolition? And, you know, I, I honestly didn't give it a whole lot of thought for a couple reasons. Um, one, as we've described today, I worked so hard on, on my character and the development of it that I really didn't want to go and become another character or do something else. Uh, and then secondly, um, you know, uh, the, the road warriors, right. I just felt like it was kind of a, you know, kind of a, uh, if you want to say a, maybe a spinoff, uh, and I such good friendship with Joe and, and eventually Mike. You know that yeah, I don't want them guys mad at me. You know, in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, uh, and, and so, out of respect for them, last but not least, uh, I felt uh, honestly a real loyalty to Jim Crockett uh, in the NWA uh, because of the opportunity uh, they gave me, of which we just described how I broke in. And, and anybody who knows me, spends any time around me, I'm probably loyal to a fault. Uh, and so. You know, I've just been, you know, NWA for life, so to speak, and 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 never never really gave thought to, to go anywhere else. Even though I did some things like with AWA, but that was kind of cult, you know, uh, Jimmy's blessing and Mid South, and but I wasn't really in their territories. I just came in to try to help Vern and wrestle as a biscuit for his title to keep them afloat for a while and that sort of thing. But all in all, overall. Uh, NWA, you know, just a, a loyal because of the, the opportunity they gave me. And, and so never really gave a whole lot of thought to, to going to, up to, to, to Vince McMahon, WWF or WWE or, or anywhere else at the time. Uh, it's anywhere else. And you, you were such a natural to go to Japan. I mean, their size or your style of work, that aggressive style of work. Were, were there any, ever, ever any ovations towards them get, getting you over to Japan on a permanent basis, kind of like Hanson or, or, or Brody? I mean, I did, I did several tours over there, shorter tours, um, and uh, not, not the typical month tours that everyone would do. And I had, I had the leverage to be able to do that. So I went like maybe a week at the most, two weeks at a time, um, and, uh, and, and enjoyed the time over there. I was with Baba's organization. And, and enjoyed that time, uh, but no, no real talks or negotiations of, uh, of, you know, being another Stan Hansen and, and you know, just kind of almost that being my career in, in Japan. Although I enjoy, you know, Ricky Choshu and all the guys and Jumbo Saruta and wrestling all the guys I wrestled, uh, certainly could see how it would have fit in, but didn't really entertain that idea either. No. Stan holds the record on our podcast for taking the longest to get home. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's I, I love awesome. Stan. Stan's been wonderful to me, and I, I treat him like a like an older brother or a great uncle. You know, I think the world of Stan. But we we had an hour 
Stan <laughs> cursing with his grandkids, his wife, yeah. trying to get him on Zoom. It was, it was possibly the greatest hour of my life. <laughs> and, 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 a, and a great thing about that, Nikki, and John's such a huge fan of Stan. And, you know, and when, every time Stan would start getting disappointed, you'd see that, that diplomat, uh, Layfield, come out. Well, Stan, let's back up a little bit. I mean, watching him try to get talk Stan on getting on, on the internet on Zoom calls. <laughs> and just, you know, and they, we use that word, but marking out for Stan Hansen there. And, and, and it, it, it was so, so fun to just see the respect that my partner had for, for a guy like Stan Hansen. I mean, how can, how can you not, though? Stan's one of the greatest guys that ever, ever blessed our business. That's awesome. That's awesome. One of the best nights of my life. We were, I think, in Budokan in, in Tokyo, and I walked in to stay. We're working that night, and I said, "Stan, what do you want to do?" He goes, "Well, how about a duck yours and hit you with mine?" All right, that sounds good. I'll, I'll see you out there. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so good. Hey, what what was in the water in Minnesota? I trained uh, with Brad Rankins up in Hamel, uh, you know, right there uh, in Minnesota. And I went to the the gym. It was the gym. I don't know if it was what it was, but they had all these bench press world records. You had all these. I mean, Rude was a national level arm wrestler. Scott Norton, world class, world champion arm wrestler. What was in the water up there in Minnesota? Dude, it was crazy. Jim Youngner, the you know, again, another Robinsdale High School grad, graduated a year ahead of me. Um, and, and so, again, if you can picture, so he had Rude, Henning, Nikita, Darso, and John Nord all on the same football mm. team, right? And, wow. and then wow. Jim Youngner, who played football with us as well, but graduating high school, he started the gym. And it just became a – it was called the Mecca of the Midwest. Um <laughs> Let's add to that Mr. Minnesota's. Let's add, you know, Tom Zink, right? Mr. Minnesota. Right. Let's add Mr. Ms. USA's, Ms. Mr. USA's. I mean, bodybuilding records, powerlifting records. Some people don't know, but but uh, Darso and uh, Mike, uh, uh, not Mike, uh, uh, Wayne Bloom, who also went into wrestling. At one point, those guys had the two-man world deadlift record, 1,300 and something pounds, the world two-man deadlift record. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, we just – and we started real young. We had, we had a mentor by the name of Jerry McFarlane in junior high school who uh, was a health teacher and a professional bodybuilder. And we all just gravitated to Jerry McFarlane, good Scottish name, right? And, um, and, and, and then from there, you know, guys just all came and gravitated – you know, at one point, Jesse Ventura was working out at the gym and just everybody seemed like was working out at the gym. And uh, so, yeah, I, I guess it, that gets a lot of the credit. And then, yeah, I guess the minerals in the water up there, wink, wink. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I'm at yeah. the gym and, and you don't even get your name on the board if you don't bench press 500. I mean, it was insane. I, this yeah, was I know, right? Yeah, yeah, this was 30 years ago. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 40 years ago. No, John, 40 years ago. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. I saw Warlord one time. He had 320 on. And I remember it because he had the, the three wheels and a two and a half. And I thought, why has he got a two and a half on there? And he and he backed up with it and bent over and did bent, bent rows with it and then bracked it back. And I thought, you know what? This business might not be for me. I, I, <laughs> I'm not sure that. I need to go into this business. <laughs> uh, hey, what's well, a good thing you and I were in the gym together because like legit, like this is legit. I used to do in the, in the rack and the dead. I used to do shrugs and stuff like no kidding, eight, 900 pounds for reps, shrugs, shrugs, build, building the traps. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. You know what's amazing to me? I see all these uh, young guys now, and I, I help work with uh, you know kids in sports programs in low low income areas. And all this training today, it's just garbage. You know, it's just it's multi joint compound movement, same as Franco and Arnold did back in the seventies. That makes yep. you strong. You know, yep. I know there's more stuff to it now, but a lot of this stuff is just window dressing. Yep. To me. I'm with you. Yep. You know, we had Al Snow on. I don't know if you know Al, but Al, you know, ordinary size guy. And Al went into old school training, not not even older than what John would talk about. He went back to the to the originators, you know, with the, with the bars and and the, and the wooden weights and all that stuff. And he he he's developed him him a routine with that. The guy looks like a million dollars, John. It's all from the old school training there. Yep, he, he literally went back to Hackenschmidt and Gotch and those guys. Literally went back to the 1900 training manuals. Yeah, and he's training like that, and he just he looks he looks amazing. He's like <laughs> he's like Jonathan Winters and Mark and Mindy, where you age backwards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're all getting older and great. You talk about wrestlers climbing into the ring. Undertaker's retirement. He had a bunch of us had to get in the ring with him at the end. And all the guys were trying to do it off camera because we all thought we we're going to trip and fall in the ring. <laughs> Don't trip on the ropes. Don't yeah. That's what ropes. I thought about when, you, when yeah. you said that. So, Nikita, now you're doing what obviously is the best work of your life. Uh, tell us tell us about your ministry and how it got started and what you're doing. Yeah, so so the, the, the short story on that, yeah, again, it's just kind of ties into my whole journey in terms of what what's – surreal uh because it fits kind of right in even with how i broke into wrestling you know not dreaming of, of being a wrestler i didn't think in a million years you know i'd be a minister uh evangelist uh, or have a ministry um but uh the, the 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 amazing for me part of that story is you know 11 months uh, after I, I leave wrestling uh you know i'm on this path of what's life hold next for nikita koloff and it, it really one of the greatest illustrations i have if Anyone out there has ever tried to put a, a puzzle together and there's that some, for some reason, there's one piece missing. There's just that light. And you're like, oh, the portrait's not complete without that one. Where is that one piece? It's kind of an illustration of my life. I've had the success as a wrestler, become a world champion, the fame that kind of quote comes with that. And yet uh, I leave wrestling. I'm like, what's life hold next? I'm like, something's still missing. And I'd met this Christian couple through other business ventures that I was in. You know, I was big into, I've always been big into diversifying and what I call MSIs. John, you probably familiar with that, multiple streams of income. Um, and, uh, and so I'd always diversified, had health clubs and, and other different types of investments. And uh, then invited me to the church. I, I, I didn't grow up in church, just like I didn't grow up in Russia. If you, if you viewers haven't figured <laughs> that out yet, um, not, not from Russia, from Minnesota, but uh and so all that to say, you know, I randomly called him up one day and said, I'll, I'll be there Sunday. And it was uh, really just a, a divine appointment for me personally, uh, kind of an aha moment of what was missing in my life. And, uh, you know, it was only 11 months off of television, uh, big church, first one to, to, to the altar and just surrender my life to, to the Lord and encountered him. It was, a, I mean, it was the real deal, uh, a true conversion and, and becoming a Christ follower. And then uh, just for five years, you know, was, was mentored and discipled in that. Like Ivan mentored me in wrestling. Others embraced me. Uh, my pastor, Jay Stewart, still my pastor to this day since 1993. Uh, we'll, we have a meeting tomorrow. Uh, we meet every month. 
and um, and then and then doors just began to open in 1998 uh, to where fast forward now to, to today I've traveled currently to 30 different countries all 50 states uh, I've preached or ministered revivals crusades etc and over 1200 churches uh, around the world the smallest audience of one largest audience actually Lex Luger with me in Jamaica over 73,000 that we spoke to in Jamaica. Wow. Yeah, and 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 then launched really launched into men's ministry. Lexi and I began to team up with men's ministry and uh, a number of years ago, and and for sixteen or so years. So I do these conferences called Man Up conferences. Um, he and I do these camps together. You probably people have been seeing the shirt Man, Man Camp alumni. Every spring and fall, we do these camps together. We we bring small groups of men, and we're just going to talk to them about being healthy mentally emotionally, physically, take all of our experiences, uh, as well as spiritually. And so um, written several books, working on another one, launched a radio show, podcast, TV show. And, and so it's just been a whirlwind of a journey, guys. It's just, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to just talk briefly about that. It's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey. We talked about before, Eric, you know, I didn't know Lex before. Uh, mm-hmm. but I know him now and he is just one of the most pleasant guys we had him on our show he's just a pleasure to be around when you see him you just smile he's always so you know but plus we both love football so we got something uh-huh. to talk about with me him and Rod Simmons but yep. he's just he's just a pleasure yep. to be around yep he is he's evidence I think I told you but he's He's evidence. Anyone who knew him in those days, I call it BC before Christ. Anyone who knew him in those days. I've heard the stories. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, hey, that character, Jerry, I don't know if that was your idea, the whole narcissist thing. I know you said that American (laughs) Lex Express was a fly. I don't know about the whole narcissist thing, but that was pretty true to life to who he was. Uh, who he was, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by his, he hit by his own admission, he goes, yeah, I was pretty narcissistic, right? And uh, had to rub that oil on him, you know, and look pretty in the mirror, you know. But uh, anyone who knew him then knows him now, knows yeah. he, he is totally yeah. a different guy, you know. And I just say, but God, but God. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of different guys and, and, and backing up to Uncle Ivan now, he helped you through uh, through a lot of troubles, a lot of thick and thin. I, I believe even during your wife's illness with cancer, he was there for you. And then in his later life, you helped him see Christ there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I, I, I did. It was pretty, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, again, I feel very fortunate to what I've had the opportunity to do, um, you know, he, he was he was very supportive and taking care of Mandy and wa- understanding and walking away for a season of time to take care of her before I returned to the ring. Uh, and then and then post career, um, it's 1995. And, and I, you know, I just I, I had a love for Ivan and and he was on my heart. Yeah. And Jerry, you know how it is. You're on the road. You kind of see how guys lifestyles and what they do, you know? And so I'm like, yeah, I want to reach out to Ivan. And I actually invited him to a revival that, that we're, we're having in North Carolina an evangel- evangelist out of South Africa. Really cool dude. I, I got to know and spend about nine years with. Anyway, I invited Ivan and I, I didn't know he was, th- I didn't know he was there because uh, it was going all week long until until the end of the service and he's standing at the altar and i had no idea he was even in the building and uh man he had a, a not unlike me a couple years prior he had a genuine encounter that night i mean he literally uh by his own story and his own admission 
got set free that night of drug addiction, alcohol, tobacco addiction. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And he was set free. I mean, you talk again, like Alexa, a changed life. And, and then he went on to travel. We did some things together, some things in ministry, but, um, and man, he carried a Bible everywhere he went. If somebody asked him about it, he, he had no problem telling him his story and how his life was changed. And uh, right up to the, to the, really the, the day of his passing. And so uh, him, I mean, I've been fortunate him, Sting, Lex, uh, Road Warrior Hawk, Animal. Uh, those are just some of the guys, Magnum that I've had the opportunity to play some role in, in their life transformation in, in mentoring uh, them after a, a similar decision that I've had a, a, a small role in, in all of their lives and helping them in their new journeys. So I have been just being one of those on that list. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, pretty amazing. Don Cronoda, another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Johnny yeah. Weaver, another one. Yeah. Wow. Sting uh, told me one time, it was really cool the way he said it was, uh, he didn't have a 10-step program, he had a one-step program. <laughs> you know, he, he, he found Jesus. Uh, yeah. He got off everything with that. You know, it's just, it was pretty cool testimony, the, the way the way that he said it. I just saw him recently, we went, on a, we went on a Beatles tour in Liverpool recently. He was going somewhere and I got to hop in with him. He's, he's such a nice guy. I like I like being around him. But Yeah, he, quick, quick, funny backstory on that. So around that same time that Ivan comes to to the comes to the altar and comes to the lord uh all the guys are in charlotte the coliseum now now it's december of 95 i leave in november of 93 i haven't seen any of them and my life has changed so i think oh, i'm gonna go down to the coliseum i'd actually grown my hair out i had a mullet man like full mullet <laughs> i shaved off all my facial hair most of the guys did not recognize <laughs> me like for real they're like oh. i'm gonna back like a mark i'm like hey you're holding yeah. up your man i love you you're, you know they're like, who let this mark in here? You know, uh, anyway, all that to say, I corralled Stink for about a half hour. And I, I, I just blew up all over him, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's like, hey, I got to go to the ring. And he told me later, I'm like, we're going to continue this conversation. And his mind, he goes, oh, no, we're not, you know, <laughs> only to find out three years later. Yeah, that he, that he had had that same encounter. And then spent five years or so flying out to Texas so about once a quarter and spent a few days at his house mentoring him and his family. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway. Down at the home of killer Tim Brooks. He's in walks, walks right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Got a ranch out there. Yep. Yep. So, yep. I, I just, for some reason, I just always, uh, killer killer was a, a great mentor to me. Killer Tim Brooks, Dick, Dick Murdoch's cousin. And he always from Waxahachie, Texas. You know, he's the only person I ever knew from Waxahachie, Texas, until until Sting moved there. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. How do people, if, if people want to find out more about Man Up Ministry, if people want to go to one of these, what, what do people need to do? So I try to keep it as simple as possible. So if they'll just log, and I'll send you guys some show notes too, if, uh, just koloff.net, the last name K-O-L-O-F-F, koloff.net on that website there's a link to the man camp if guys wanted to find out more information on the man camp that lex and i facilitate um there's a link to the man up podcast there's a link to the man up tv show uh there's a store there where people are interested in uh, my, my last book was was uh, nikita a tale of the ring of redemption it's uh, actually my life story newly updated i just added seven or eight new chapters to it um, a motivational book called Wrestling with Success. Those are available right there on the store site. And, and I, of course, I personally sign anything 
that they people order off of the store site. But it's all right there, all right there, coloff.net. They can read more about the ministry, more about my wrestling life, and it's one stop, one stop. Well, Akita, I, I was so excited when uh, Jerry told us that we're going to have you on the show. You know, we we, we start up the podcast just to we enjoy talking to old guys like us. You know, we don't bury anybody. We just have fun. And I was so excited because I've never gotten the chance to meet you. And it's, it's been a wonderful hour and a half or whatever it's been to, to, to get to meet you and uh, learn more about your story, learn more about you. And I've enjoyed uh, as much as looking at the old videos getting ready for the show tonight of all the stuff that you had done with Magnum, with Flair, with all the old interviews, the staying in character at the Rocky Four movie set. I just love that stuff. I think it's great. So thank John, you so much. It's a true honor to, to have you on the show. It certainly is. John sent me a text about 11 o'clock last night. He said, this is going to be great. He said, I've been spending the last couple hours just watching old videos and interviews. Uh, That's true. Said, this, is, this is going to be great. I said, you're just finding it out. But we got to give a shout out to our to our all of our friend, uh, Mr. Uh, William Murdoch, Bill Murdoch, who uh, who uh, wrote Jack's book, helped helped Jack co-author his book, and also assisted you in his book. Bill and you working together on some fantastic uh, charities and, and seminars coming up. So uh, look at look at look at Nikki's website and get all the information you need. And once again, thanks so much for coming on. What a thrill it's been, and, well, and getting to getting to know you and and and, and wow, and what a what a career. Well, I'm honored to be with two legends like like you guys. And and, and hey, you better watch stories with Bristol and Bradshaw or the Russian nightmare. We'll hit you with the Russian sickle and you go down. Shatoita. Ah.